The Truth News Network. Staying right, staying red, staying on the side of the truth. Truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman. That would be me. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to TNN Live. It seems like it's later in the week than Tuesday, but that's where we are. 10th of August. Football's about to start. High school football, college football, NFL football. They're all in training camp getting ready for a season. And we're not locked down. There are no COVID lockdowns. It looks like we're going to have a real football season this year. Maybe, oh, maybe we can get back to a lot of things that are normal parts of our lives. That's what we're hoping and praying for. But I got to be honest with you. um, That doesn't seem to be in our stars at least in our government's perspective, we are looking right down the throat of another pandemic lockdown, one that this time is being created and manipulated if it happens. It's not because of COVID-19. It's because of something else. And we have a lot to get in here today, a lot to get into today as well. And um, there are some things, some very startling things that came to our attention yesterday during the day. One of them has to do with the masking situation, and I'm sure you probably by now have read our story this morning. Uh, We actually published those 47 different laboratory tests that prove the efficacy of all types of face mask will not work against COVID-19. There's only one that will, and that's an N95 mask complete with a ventilator. Folks, those are virtually impossible for us to get. If you're pretty wealthy, got a lot of money, and know somebody, you can maybe get one. But John Q. Public, and that includes me, folks, we can't get them. There are not enough in production. And those cloth masks, I don't need to tell you, they are absolutely worthless. So we told you there were 47 different laboratory tests that were completely audited, controlled. They were done in a scientific way. And uh, so we published those in our story this morning with links so you can go to each one. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go take a look. Maybe not all of them. Just trust me and let, let, let's just know they each prove the efficacy of these masks or zero. But notice where they're printed where they are exposed and revealed to the public. From the National Institutes of Health website, what's that old saying, hiding in plain sight? So the National Institutes of Health, that's kind of the over umbrella of the Centers for Disease Control. All of the bureaucratic medical experts in America that work for the government They're under the umbrella of the National Institutes of Health. And so those people know what we printed today is true. And yet they're standing on stages in front of television cameras, on television sets, on all of those Sunday talk shows. They're standing and sitting there and they're lying like I've never heard anybody lie before. They all know cloth masks don't work. 
So let's just make this our fundamental premise about masks. It's not about mask stuff. It's not about keeping us safe. It's not about protecting us from the COVID-19 virus or any other virus. It's not. They don't work on any other viruses. They don't work on the flu. And the molecules of COVID-19 are smaller than the molecules that are in the flu. There's some other reason. And uh, I'm not into conspiracy theories, so I'm not going to purvey one on you today. I'm not going to do it. You need to begin to think about what the reason or reasons for all of this are. That's what you need to ponder. So where we're going to start today, and, and I've got something else to bring to you from the CDC that will shock you. It will blow your mind. It's like nothing you ever even thought of. And we dug it out overnight. We're going to start with what faces America today and every day. It's the Senate Democrats, the House Democrats that are in power. They are doing everything that they can do with their limited majority in the House and the 50-50 tie in the Senate between Republicans and Democrats. The only place they can win pretty much every time is in the Senate because... A 50-50 tie throws a vote on any issue to the Vice President of the United States, who by constitutional law is the President of the Senate. That would be Kamala Harris. She, of course, a Democrat, Vice President in the Biden administration. She would throw any vote, and has already in several cases, to the Democrat side of whatever piece of legislation is being considered. So as we know, yesterday the Senate unveiled a $3.5 trillion budget resolution that they tell us they're going to pass without any Republican support, paving the way for boosting spending in a bunch of different areas in line with the president's legislative agenda, and they're doing it through that process that's called reconciliation. And we've told you how it works. Um, They can suspend the majority of the um, the 60, 60 vote threshold that uh, that's what it takes to counter a filibuster. And since it's a 50-50 tie, it's really difficult for the Democrats or for the Republicans for that matter to dominate on any legislative issue that comes through there. So they have found this little glitch in the Senate rules and it's called budget reconciliation. Not every provision, but many provisions that are being considered can be voted on through this budget reconciliation process, which means all it takes is a simple majority vote to pass a piece of legislation. Now, again, I remind you, it doesn't apply to every piece of legislation, but this one, money, budget, it does. So they're planning on passing this without a single supporting Republican vote. That means they're going to have to get at least one Republican to support it. So Dems say this massive spending framework would unlock funding for things like universal pre-K, tuition-free community college, making investments in public housing and clean energy efforts, and expanding health care. Only in politics, folks, Only in politics, only in the United States, do they talk about borrowing money to make investment. What do you mean, Dan? 
Folks, three and a half trillion dollars. We don't have three and a half trillion dollars. We don't have a trillion dollars. We don't have $500 billion. We don't have a hundred billion dollars in the bank in an account that we can write checks on. Anything, anything whatsoever this government does probably past the 90-day mark in any fiscal year, October, November, December. So January 1st, we're three months into the fiscal year already. By that time, all of the money that will come in during that entire fiscal year in the way of income taxes is already spent. So from January 1st through September 30th of each year, Everything that we spend is borrowed. And still this government calls that borrowed money. They don't ever use the term borrowed. They call it investments. So what's included in this budget resolution? I'll just, I'll just give you some of the highlights. The budget resolution would raise taxes on the wealthiest Americans and corporations while pledging to provide tax relief for middle-class families. They always say that. The specific of the increases are going to be worked out. You know, congressional committees and it's just, y'all go ahead and pass it and trust us. We're going to spend it all the right way. Biden called on Congress to raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28%. Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden, who's a Democrat, of course, from Oregon, he has significant influence over tax changes. He said yesterday that his panel is working on a menu of options for Democrats to consider. It's like going to an expensive restaurant with a friend, and the friend's sitting across the table from you, and the friend says, hey, don't worry about it, I'm picking up the tab. And so you open up the menu, and that whole side of the menu that if you were paying for your meal, you would probably not even look at, ah, it's in play now because somebody else is paying the bill. That's what Wyden is referring to when he says, um, we're working on a menu of options. Tax increases, international tax proposals will face vigorous opposition from those business lobbying groups which hailed the absence of tax hikes in the bipartisan infrastructure bill that's going to be voted on today. We're talking about a different one, folks. Democrats say these hikes won't impact middle-class families. Their plans would prohibit new taxes on small businesses, family farm, and families making less than $400,000 each year. And that, of course, is to fulfill the Biden campaign promise. Um, Included in their plans or a call for the extension of tax credits for families and low-income individuals, including a child tax credit, that provides millions of families with monthly checks now, $300 per kid. So all you got to do is have babies and you're going to get an Uncle Sam check. That sounds pretty dangerous. In a letter that was sent to lawmakers yesterday by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he said the reconciliation bill will provide the largest tax cut for American families in a generation while making the wealthy pay their fair share. That is a bald face lie. Democrats say tax hikes are going to provide the primary source of funding for their resolution spending. They always say that. They always say that, and yet it's never there. 
They did say they would also include increased funding for the IRS to boost tax enforcement, a measure that was stripped out of the bipartisan infrastructure bill because Republicans opposed it. There are going to be some major health care expansions. I won't go into any of that. Bernie Sanders sits atop that heap, and um, this bill will include dental, hearing, and vision benefits to Medicare. They don't give us the dollar numbers yet, folks. However, the final package is not expected to include another one of those progressive priorities, lowering the Medicare eligibility age to 60, which, uh, that boy, that opens up big debate about Medicare for all. So that's not in it, at least right now. Democrats said the package will include measures to have the federal government step in and provide health coverage in the 12 GOP-led states that have declined to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Though the exact mechanism for doing that remains to be seen. Pretty much it's this. Give us a blank check. We'll take care of it. That's the way Democrats handle all kind of spending stuff. Just pass a bill that gives us this much money to spend and just trust us. We're going to spend it the right way. Kind of like in 2008. You remember that first trillion dollar bill that Obama pushed through and it was supposed to stimulate the economy and create all these shovel-ready jobs, you remember that? And then when there were no shovel-ready jobs, four years later when he was thinking about running for a second term, that was never in question. He was always going to be an eight-year president, you know that. He was caught with some of his uh, advisors sitting around in a room and laughing. He said, well, I guess all those shovel-ready jobs weren't shovel-ready, were they? No, but they sure spent $900 billion on a bunch of crap that never happened. Never, ever was any of that put in place. There were a few jobs, no doubt about it, but not a trillion dollars worth. Also in this reconciliation budget plan, universal pre-K and tuition-free community college. Democrats are aiming to put funding towards securing universal education for kids ages 3 and 4, as well as making junior college, community college, free for up to two years. This proposal, it's targeting a specific budget priority for Biden, who has pushed for both items in recent months, in addition to funding for child care, for low-income families, and for a paid leave program. The resolution outlined an instruction of $726 billion for the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee for the recommended funding. No big deal, just three-quarters of a billion dollars. Other recommended policy items outlined for the committee, increasing the maximum Pell Grant award, putting investments toward historically black colleges and universities, minority-serving institutions, Hispanic-serving institutions, and tribal colleges and universities. Then we get into the biggie, the big banana. In the bill, this is a budget bill, in the bill, a budget bill, is a resolution that outlines $107 billion dollars to be allocated to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Now, what would they use that for? $107 billion. Democrats are planning to use it for smart, this is a quote, smart and effective border security measures. 
as well as the lawful permanent status for qualified immigrants. Now, what does that mean? It's a pathway to citizenship for all of the illegals that are in the nation today. The budget resolution and memo on the separate spending package doesn't offer specifics on which groups will be included. It also doesn't include a hard number for the number of people that the instruction pertains to. Once again, oh, just give us the money. We're going to spend it wisely. We'll tell you later on what we spent it for or maybe what we spent part of it for. The others, it's going to go into our gar hole. And I've told you before what a gar hole is. In South Louisiana, gars are nasty fish. They're evil fish. They're predators on other fish, and they grow to enormous sizes, and they hide where they live underwater. And they always have a hole, and they stash the good food to eat later in their gar hole. So in South Louisiana lingo, if you got something you want to keep, you don't want people to know about it, or in the case of the gar, other fish, you stick it in your gar hole, and everybody knows you don't mess with that hole because it belongs to that big gar. Yeah, this would belong to that big Democrat. Democrats have weighed, including immigration reform, in the reconciliation package. Now, they've, they've come under increased pressure to do so after a court ruling late last month blocked new applicants to the DACA program. And if anything is going to change in the DACA program substantively and permanently, it's got to come through legislation. Now, they're getting a bunch of blowback from Republicans, as you can imagine. Biden showed his support for a pathway to citizenship days after the court ruling last month about DACA. Though at the time, the president said it remained to be seen if it could be included in the reconciliation package. Da-da-da-da, it's in there. However, Senate Democrats indicated days ahead of the unveiling of the resolution that Biden supported making the citizenship pathway a part of the spending bill. They said he made it clear to us, unequivocally clear, that he stands with our efforts. That's Dick Durbin, Senate Majority Whip. Months back, the House passed legislation that would provide DREAMers with that pathway to citizenship, as well as some migrant farm workers but the legislation has since hit a roadblock in the Senate. So what about infrastructure and jobs? you got to have money to do those things, right? Well, the budget framework allows for spending Senate Democrats have touted as game-changing investments. There you go again. Borrow some more money. Spend it and call it investing. Folks, investment means money that you have that you want to put somewhere where it can be safe while making income. This isn't investments. This is just writing a check on an account that is way below zero. These investments, they say, include what Democrats said in a memo would lead to a historic level of funding for things like public housing, green and sustainable housing, housing production and affordability, and workforce development and job training. That all just sounds so good, folks, but let me tell you what and how they do this. They don't get down in the nitty-gritty. They have people that are 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 layers below the members of Congress that are actually 
writing these bills, and they'll make a commitment in a subparagraph of a paragraph section number, and that's part of big alphabet A, and they bury all of this so deeply that it takes a brain surgeon to dig through and find where the money's actually going. And I'll tell you this, folks. It's not going into infrastructure. It's not. How do I know that? <laughs> Look at the history, folks. Look at the history. Democrats also plan to include funding and the coming package for interior department programs. And that decision was hailed by environmentalist groups after those programs were initially set to be excluded. On the Environment and the Public Works Committee end, Democrats are looking to fund clean vehicle technology. Environmental Protection Agency, Climate and Research Programs, Environmental Justice Investments such as Clean Water Access and Port Health, other priorities Democrats outline include funds for a civilian climate core under the umbrella of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee and a carbon polluter import fee under the Finance Committee. In this budget reconciliation bill, $3.5 trillion, folks, I'll guarantee you if you broke it down and pulled out the real segments that are in it, I mean the really real ones, the ones that are meaningful, substantive, less than $500 billion would pay the bill. So, Dan, do you mean that we're going to allow them $3.5 trillion of which they're going to blow $3 trillion of it on bridges to nowhere and the like? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm saying, folks. It's pretty much what I'm saying. Well, they wouldn't do that. There's no way they would do that. Well, they do it all the time now. Why would they change their spots? A leopard's got spots. He's not going to change his spots. Democrats spend money. They're not going to change that. They spend money they don't have. They borrow it from your account and the accounts of your great, 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 great grandchildren and write an IOU that they'll never be able to repay. They have no idea or thought or even inkling of needing to pay it back. I heard one really good thought that came from a Democrat yesterday. Just one. Not two, not three, not four. And not from Senate leaders on the Democrat side or House leaders on the Democrat side. A regular old John Q. Public, a guy kind of like me, who thinks a lot. I don't even remember his name. And I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. On the other side of this break, I'll tell you that. And we're going to launch into the other thing that I told you is going to make the hair on your head stand on end. If you're not like me and you have hair, Whew, you're going to want to stay for this one. And you may want to make a phone call and get somebody you love on the phone for this. That's right after this at TNN Live. 
new Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com slash disruptive. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Wee! Wee, wee, wee! 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 Yeah? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. And now, Mr. Robert Goulet reads from The Writings of Bart, the collected after-school blackboard writings of young Bart Simpson. Mr. Goulet. I will not trade pants with others. I will not do that thing with my tongue. I will not Xerox my butt. A burp is not an answer. I will not pledge allegiance to Bart. I will not eat things for money. I will not bring sheep to class. I will not instigate revolution. My name is not Dr. Death. To experience all of Bart's blackboard writings, watch every classic episode of The Simpsons. I will not call the principal Spudhead. The Simpsons, now five times a week. Bart Simpson is probably qualified to um, maybe be the Senate Majority Leader or something like that. At least if he was there, folks, we'd laugh a whole lot more than we laugh about what comes out of the Senate today. Even though I know that's the case. I know it's going to happen. I know that they're going to do this stupid stuff that has nothing, no relation whatsoever to honesty, to truth, to taking care of of the people of the United States as they all commit to doing their oaths of office. I know that going in. That's where I start. But then I'm still shocked when I hear all of the stupidity coming from members of the United States Senate. And I got to tell you this, and I know that there are people in South Louisiana that listen to this show. Um, One of the people that serves in the Senate that is the most, one of the most inept members of the United States Congress is U.S. Senator Bill Cassidy. And he's from the state of Louisiana. You know, every state has two senators. And they don't represent specific parts of the state like the members of Congress, the representative from the U.S. House of Representatives does. They represent a district. Each of our two senators represent the entire state. But Cassidy's from South Louisiana. I know based on what you're seeing and hearing coming from him now, you would never know that he's a Republican or a conservative. And he was just reelected. He won in a landslide to serve six more years unless he's recalled. 
by the people of Louisiana. The guy's a nut job. He's a doctor. And let me just say this. For 29 years now, I've um, owned and operated a company, and what we do every day is we deal with doctors at every level, doctors of every kind, specialists, general practitioners, uh, rural doctors. We deal with them over and over and over again. And of the thousands of doctors with whom I've integrated with over 29 years, I'm, I haven't kept an exact number, no specific calculation, but I'm going to be close when I estimate that 95% of them all have a God complex, which means I know more than you do. Well, who is you that they know more of? It doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter who it is. If they're talking to this doctor or they're in a conversation that includes a doctor, it's the likelihood, big likelihood, 95% chance that doctor's default position on every issue that comes up is, I know more than you do. Cassidy doesn't have a clue about the reality of any of the legislative issues before the Senate now. And he's out front talking about it. And because he's a Republican, what do the Democrats do? They shove him out front. Yeah, they put him out there with uh, Susan from Maine and Mitt from Utah and Lisa from Alabama, excuse me, from Alaska. All of the rhinos, Republicans in name only in the Senate, that they, they just go with the flow whoever they think will like them more if they vote their way. Forget about the people in Utah and Alaska and Maine and Louisiana. Let's just vote where our buddies want us to vote. That's what's going on, folks. That's the reality of it. Now, what is this big thing that I told you I was going to share with you? Well, let me just start by telling you this. When, I'll start this with a question. When did you first hear about COVID-19? Late January last year? Maybe. Maybe even a little bit further up. Maybe the 15th of the month there was a mention about something, but they didn't call it COVID-19 at the time, I don't think, at least publicly. But we heard there was something sinister going on. And then it began to get more sinister spookier, scary, OMG, we're all going to die. And it was in a progression a whole lot like that. You've got to agree to it. And over the last year and a half, there have been a bunch of people, a lot of people that are way more plugged in than are we, that are in the epicenter of all kinds of healthcare issues on a national and international level. People like Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, Dr. Francis, head of the NIH, Dr. Judy Mikovits, who we had on this show May a year ago, who basically prophetically told us everything that Dr. Fauci was going to do and push and the truth of all of the stuff that he was going to tell us about. All of that came true almost to the letter. People like that really know a lot. Uh, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Fleming, who's been on the air here with us. Judy Mikovits on the air here with us. And we're hearing all of this stuff coming from people that are not part of the medical, what do we want to call that? Industrial, 
bureaucracy, you want to call it, the, med- the industrial medical democracy, which are the big shots in D.C. that control everything to do with health care and the United States. And led over the last year and a half, principally by Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, he's the highest paid federal employee, so he should be in charge. So we listen to what they all tell us and we just mark it somewhere and we stick it in the back of our minds and just automatically accept that what they're telling us is the truth because of who they are. And because our political leaders say, oh, you gotta, you got to listen to these folks. They know, they know what they're talking about. So we've been through this mask thing, this social distancing thing, this lockdown thing, uh, vaccination thing. Now we're going through, well, you're going to have to have booster shots because of the variants. And we're expected, even though we've heard fact after fact for a year and a half, only to find out after that, that fact wasn't the truth. It was actually either a mistake or a lie. And in the case of healthcare, that means life or death to you. It really doesn't matter if it's a lie or if they made a mistake. It was wrong and it could kill you. Time after time after time, incident after incident, through a year and a half, almost daily, the same thing happens. But still, the media, the mouthpieces for the healthcare industrial complex, they tell us, just shut up and listen to them. They are the experts. They know what we're supposed to do. And so in the middle of all of this, we find out the mass stuff was a sham still is, and they're still out there today touting, oh, kids to go back to school, everybody's got to wear a mask. By the way, we want everybody to get a vaccination. And then, of course, we're finding out the vaccinations don't work. Uh, Let me give you you an example of that. Let me find this story that I want to bring to you. Let me go to the top of this. I live in Louisiana. You all know that. And so in Louisiana, everybody thinks of New Orleans when you say Louisiana. But folks, there is a vast bit of land between New Orleans and other parts of the state. New Orleans and its its uh, its influence pretty well stops when you get up going north and east, actually north and west, out of New Orleans, Baton Rouge is 70 miles away, and then you hit Interstate 10 that goes from, actually, if you go east, it goes all the way to the Atlantic. If you go west, I-10 actually, it does. It it literally ends at the Pacific Ocean in L.A. Well, the influence of um, what most people think is Louisiana is below a line marked by Interstate 10. Below that line, and we're talking chiefly about Baton Rouge, uh, the boot part of Louisiana, New Orleans, and New Orleans by far the biggest city in the state. Baton Rouge and Shreveport run a close second to both of them. Shreveport's in the extreme northwest corner of Louisiana. It's actually 300, a little over 300 miles from Shreveport to New Orleans. Most people don't realize that. But culturally and business and politically and religiously in many ways, North Louisiana, everything above that line above I-10 is conservative and everything below it is not. And so 
In our state regarding COVID-19 vaccinations, last number I heard, the state was only 37% vaccinated. But in that line below I-10, south and southeast Louisiana, it's close to 68%. So here's a report coming out of South Louisiana yesterday, actually late last night. Louisiana reported more than 16,000 new COVID-19 cases over the weekend as hospitalizations continue to skyrocket at an unprecedented pace. The Louisiana Department of Health on Monday, which was yesterday, reported 16,541 new cases and 50 new deaths over the weekend. COVID-19 positive hospitalizations also increased by 299 to a total of 2,720 patients across the state. And then this little caveat carved out of this story. The 299 hospitalizations added to and make a total of 2,720 patients across the state, 91% of which are unvaccinated. Okay, what are they driving at? They're driving at a political narrative, not a medical narrative. The state's health department said the largest share of new cases were reported in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and the North Shore, which is Lake Pontchartrain, which runs over the top of New Orleans. Just north of it is Interstate 12 that runs on the east side of Louisiana, That's the North Shore. So all of this, huge majority of it is below that line. New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and the North Shore. Louisiana reported more than 48,000 new cases of the virus in the first nine days of August. Okay, 65,589 doses of vaccine have been administered since the previous update in the last week. 90% of those in the southern part of the state. Now, let me, that's a a news story. That doesn't come from the Louisiana Department of Health. It comes from WWWL, which is uh, a CBS affiliate uh, television station in New Orleans. They also have WWL radio, a 50,000-watt AM station. They have an FM station and obviously a big print foot in the state. Let me give you the inside skinny. The CDC, the evil CDC, Centers for Disease Control, they actually have a massive research laboratory in New Orleans that is part of Tulane Medical Center. Very few people know about this, but it's been there for decades. Do you remember when um, we had the, um, the poison that was being sent, the white powder was being sent in letters and it it was up in the D.C., Virginia area or whatever. Well, the laboratory that handled all of those specimens is that laboratory down in Tulane. I have a contact that is in a senior position at that laboratory. There are a bunch of senior people there, so this person's not going to be exposed by my saying this. Of all of these cases that have been coming in in the New Orleans, Baton Rouge, North Shore area, 75% of them were vaccinated. 
and the specific brand of COVID they are testing positive for are the Delta variant. No, what's your interpretation of that, Dan? What does it mean? It basically means this. There's something going on that we're not, we're not in the clue section of this whole thing about you and I aren't. And every day, more and more comes out about it. There's a lot of stuff going on, folks. A lot of stuff. And I'm not here to foment fear. I'm not here to make you afraid. That's not what this is about. But what it is, we're all in together a fact-finding mission to find the truths in all of this. And unless we dig and investigate and research, we're not going to find it. Very little of this is just going to be popping off your television screen at night when at 6 o'clock you go turn on the television and you want to listen to the national news at CNN or MSNBC or ABC, CBS, NBC, or even sometimes Fox News. It's not going to jump off the screen. In fact, it's pretty much exactly opposite what we're being told and what we're finding out after the fact. So this big thing that I'm, 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 I'm bringing to you, and I wanted to set it up and tell you, things in Louisiana, infections in Louisiana, vaccinations in Louisiana, the numbers that are being put out aren't real. They're not accurate. And they're always put out in a manner that is to feed some p- political narrative. Always. And with healthcare, folks, facts and numbers and information should never be presented on a partisan basis, but everything we hear about COVID-19 and everything to do with it, everything comes with a political narrative. So I'm going right now to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website, and I'm going to read verbatim something that is posted there, and I just want you to listen. This document presents considerations from the perspective of the CDC for implementing the shielding approach in humanitarian settings as outlined in guidance documents focused on camps, displaced populations, and low-resource settings. This approach has never been documented and has raised questions and concerns among humanitarian partners who support response activities in these settings. The purpose of this document is to highlight potential implementation challenges of the shielding approach from CDC's perspective and guide thinking around implementation in the absence of empirical data. Considerations are based on current evidence known about the transmission and severity of coronavirus disease. In parentheses, this is the first OMG in what I'm giving you today. This was published in 2019. 2019. It's been updated since, but it was first published in 2019. And this story continues and says, and may need to be revised as more information becomes available. Please check the CDC website periodically for updates. So, you, you, you heard that term, the shielding approach. So, what is that? I'll continue. The shielding approach aims to reduce the number of severe COVID-19 cases by limiting contact between individuals at higher risk of developing severe disease and the general population. So, in other words, high risk 
or low risk. High risk individuals would be temporarily relocated to safe or green zones established at the household, neighborhood, camp slash sector, or community level, depending on the context and setting. They would have a minimal contact with family members and other low-risk residents. Current evidence indicates that older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. In most humanitarian settings, older population groups make up a small percentage of the total population. For this reason, the shielding approach suggests physically separating high-risk individuals from the general population to prioritize the use of the limited available resources and avoid implementing long-term containment measures among the general population. In theory, shielding may serve its objective to protect high-risk populations from disease and death. However, implementation of the approach necessitates strict adherence to protocol. Inadvertent introduction of the virus into a green zone may result in rapid transmission among the most vulnerable populations the approach is trying to protect. Obviously, (laughs) Governor Cuomo in New York hadn't read this (laughs) because that's exactly what he did. A summary of the shielding approach described is shown in Table 1 in this article. And they list the stuff in Table 1. And they break it down. The household level is a specific room area designated for high-risk individuals who are physically isolated from other household members. Neighborhood level, a designated shelter group of shelter, maximum 5 to 10 households within a small camp or area where high-risk members are grouped together. Neighbors swap households to accommodate high-risk individuals. And then the camp-slash-sector level is a group of shelters such as schools, community buildings within a camp or sector, maximum 50 high-risk individuals per single green zone, where high-risk individuals are physically isolated together. Now, this article, this whatever you want to call it, missive on the CDC website. It's tit- this section's titled Operational Considerations. The shielding approach requires several prerequisites for effective implementation. Several are addressed, including access to health care and provision of food. However, there are several prerequisites which require additional considerations. Table 2 presents the prerequisites or suggestions as stated in the shielding guidance document, column 1, and CDC presents additional questions and considerations alongside these prerequisites in column 2. So, suggested prerequisites. Each green zone has a dedicated latrine bathing facility for high-risk individuals. To minimize external contact, each green zone should include able-bodied high-risk individuals capable of caring for residents who have disabilities or are less mobile. Otherwise, designate low-risk individuals for these tasks, preferably who have recovered from confirmed COVID-19 and are assumed to be immune. Now, the CDC says you recover from COVID-19 and this missive that you're assumed to be immune, but not on the news programs today. 
not from Jen Psaki at the White House. Oh, just because you had COVID and got over it, that doesn't mean your antibodies are there. Or if they're there, they can only last sometimes for a matter of days. The green zone in living areas for high-risk residents should be aligned with minimum humanitarian standards. Continuing, monitor and evaluate the implementation of the shielding approach. Men and women and individuals with tuberculosis, severe immunodeficiencies, or dementia should be isolated separately. Community acceptance and involvement in the design and implementation. High-risk minors should be accompanied into isolation by a single caregiver who will also be considered a green zone resident in terms of movements and contacts with those outside the green zone. Green zone shelters should always be kept clean. Residents should be provided with the necessary cleaning products and materials to clean their living spaces. Green zones should be more spacious in terms of shelter area per capita than the surrounding camp slash sector, even at the cost of greater crowding of low-risk people. And they outlined some additional considerations, like population characteristics and demographics. Consideration. The number of green zones required may be greater than anticipated, as they are based on the total number of high-risk individuals. Explanation. Older adults represent a small percentage of the population in many camps in humanitarian settings, approximately 3 to 5%. However, in some humanitarian settings, more than a quarter of the population may fall under high-risk categories based on underlying medical conditions, which may increase a person's risk for severe COVID-19 illness, which includes chronic kidney disease, obesity, serious heart conditions, sickle cell disease, and type 2 diabetes. Additionally, many camps and settlements host multiple nationalities, which may require additional separation. For example, Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya accommodates refugees from 19 different countries. And this just goes on and on and on. They get into social, cultural, religious practices, mental health, and then we get to the summary. Before we stop, I gotta, I've got to give you the summary. This shielding approach is an ambitious undertaking, which may prove effective in preventing COVID-19 infection among high-risk populations if well-managed. While the premise is based on mitigation strategies used in the United Kingdom, there is no empirical evidence whether this approach will increase, decrease, or have no effect on morbidity and mortality during the COVID-19 epidemic in various humanitarian settings. This document highlights A, risk and challenges of implementing this approach. B, need for additional resources in areas with limited or reduced capacity. Or C, indefinite timeline. And D, possible short-term and long-term adverse consequences. Public health not only focuses on the eradication of disease, but addresses the entire spectrum of health and well-being. Populations displaced due to natural disasters or war and conflict are already fragile and have experienced increased mental, physical, and or emotional trauma. While the shielding approach is not meant to be coercive, it may appear forced or be misunderstood in humanitarian settings. 
As with many community interventions meant to decrease COVID-19 morbidity and mortality, compliance and behavior change are the primary rate-limiting steps and may be driven by social and emotional factors. These changes are difficult in developed stable settings. Thus, they may be particularly challenging in humanitarian settings which bring their own set of multifaceted challenges that need to be taken into account. Household-level shielding seems to be the most feasible and dignified as it allows for the least disruption to family structure and lifestyle, critical components to maintaining compliance. However, it is most susceptible to the introduction of a virus due to necessary movement or interaction outside the green zone, less oversight, and often large household sizes. It may be less feasible in settings where family shelters are small and don't have multiple compartments. In humanitarian settings, small village, sector slash block, or camp level shielding may allow for greater adherence to proposed protocol, but at the expense of longer-term social impacts triggered by separation from friends and family, feelings of isolation, and stigmatization. Most importantly, accidental introduction of the virus into a green zone may result in rapid transmission and increased morbidity and mortality as observed in assisted care facilities in the U.S. The shielding approach is intended to alleviate stress on the healthcare system and circumvent the negative economic consequences of long-term containment measures and lockdowns. How? By protecting the most vulnerable. Implementation of this approach will involve careful planning, additional resources, strict adherence, and strong multi-sector coordination requiring agencies to consider the potential repercussion among populations that have collectively experienced physical and psychological trauma, which makes them more vulnerable to adverse psychosocial consequences. In addition, thoughtful consideration of the potential benefit versus the social and financial cost of implementation will be needed in humanitarian settings. And there's a list of references uh, for this article. 26 of them. 26 of them. And some on which all of what you just heard are based were written as far back as 2016. So what is this all about, Dan? What does this mean? Why did you bring this to us? I'm telling you, folks, when you have been tempted in the past to feel like or think that maybe everything we're hearing has a different meaning than what we're being told that they mean. There may be something else going on. There are people that have been saying for a long time, there's something sinister afoot here. More and more, it seems likely that this COVID-19 thing, and I got to be honest with you, the virus itself, COVID-19, with that name, SARS-CoV-2, there were 17 patents filed with the U.S. Patent Office in 2016 for SARS-CoV-2 and called it a virus. 17 different, but the scary part is three days before that patent was filed. 
You know, the one that patents the virus itself? Three days before that one was filed, another patent was filed by a company called Moderna. And that patent was for a process of creating a vaccine to cure SARS-CoV-2. Three days before the patent, 17 of them were filed for the virus itself. Read all about it. Hear the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down. Of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Truth, justice, the TNN way. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. All we do here, folks, is dig. Dig and bring to you what we find out and discover. And when things come up that question decisions made by those who are tied directly into management spots at the National Institutes of Health, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, those people like Anthony Fauci. We bring those things to you. We're not guaranteeing that what we're bringing to you are necessarily facts. And we always tell you what the sources are just so you can do what we do here, which is do our own research and find out if it's really true. And what I just gave you is published and it was, it was published first back in 2019. There were plans in place for a pandemic And it was called COVID-19 back in 2019. Also, let's turn the calendar back three years. Do you remember what Dr. Fauci said in the fall of 2016? The fall of 2016. What happened then? November that year, that's in the fall, Donald Trump was elected president. Well, after the election... Dr. Anthony Fauci made a prediction. And what was his prediction? His exact words. This president, 
during his term in office, first term if he's reelected, will face a pandemic. Not probably, not may, but his words were, will face a pandemic. Now, how did he know that? I don't know. He didn't say maybe. And this is the guy we've been told from the beginning. Anything he says, you got to listen to it because he is, now I've changed his title to the COVID God because he knows. Well, guess what the COVID God said yesterday? He came out with another great truth for all of us to consider, especially those of us with kids. During an interview with a radio host named Hugh Hewitt, who is a conservative, incidentally, Fauci said it's important to keep an open mind about masking. After the CDC recommended that unvaccinated children ages two and older wear masks and that students wear masks in all K-12 schools regardless of vaccination status in light of the rapid spread of the COVID-19 Delta variant. Now, do I need to take that sentence apart for you to illustrate the fraud of Dr. Anthony Fauci? Why, oh why, if the vaccine that he's been touting for more than a year, that he has a financial stake in, at least the one at Moderna, a direct tie to that, he's been touting that as get the vaccination. You won't any longer need to wear a mask. And now all of a sudden, kids ages two and older got to wear a mask. And students in all K-12 through schools got to wear a mask regardless of vaccination status. Fauci said it's not comfortable for kids, obviously particularly the younger children. But you know what we're starting to see, Hugh? And I think it's going to unfold even more as the weeks go by. This virus not only is so extraordinarily transmissible, but we're starting to see pediatric hospitals get more and more younger people and kids, not only numerically, but what seems to be more severe disease. Now we're tracking that. The CDC is tracking that really very carefully. So it's going to be a balance that we would feel very badly if we are all of a sudden said, okay, kids, don't wear a mask. Then you find out retrospectively that this virus, in a very, very strange and unusual way, is really hitting kids really hard. But hopefully this will be a temporary thing, temporary enough that it doesn't have any lasting negative impact on them. Temporary, temporary, temporary thing. Remember when we did the lockdown? You remember that? 14 days. It'll take us two weeks, 14 days, and we'll be through this. We won't have to mess with it any worse. And so the demands for vaccinations are just flooding the nation. Yesterday, cops and other Denver city workers, Denver, Colorado, who refused to get a COVID-19 vaccine, it was announced, are going to face discipline, could be fired. Murphy Robinson, who's an executive director of the city's Department of Public Safety, said he's ready to enforce an order. Public Health Administrator Robert McDonald says, for the city and for the county of Denver. 
Last week, McDonald ordered about 10,000 personnel across the area. That includes first responders, hospital workers, child care providers to be fully vaccinated against the virus that causes COVID-19. They have until the 30th of next month. And he said religious and medical exemptions are recognized. Quote, Executive Director Robinson has been tasked to ensure all public safety staff are in compliance and if not disciplined, up to and including termination could be imposed. And that includes sheriffs, deputies, firefighters, and police officers. Denver, Colorado. But you want to type uh, top that? Yesterday, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin announced the Department of Defense is to require all active duty military members to get a COVID-19 vaccine. I want you to know that I will seek the president's approval. This is General Austin. I will seek the president's approval to make the vaccines mandatory no later than mid-September or immediately upon the FDA licensure, whichever comes first. While all three COVID vaccines being administered in the U.S. are under emergency use authorization only, why do we even ever go past that part of this sentence? When in your lifetime has anybody put a needle in your arm, even when you were a child, to inject something in there that hadn't been fully approved by the Federal Drug Administration. It's never happened before. And now, folks, now they're saying it's going to be required for you to even serve in the military. If you're a cop in Denver, if you're a hospital worker in Texas at different hospitals in different systems, you want a job? get the jab. You don't get the jab, you don't have a job. Legally, legally, folks, for a federal employee, which troops are, right now, it is illegal to require any employee of the federal government, including these members of the military, to get a vaccine that's not fully approved. And so you would think the Secretary of Defense would think a little bit more about the people that work for him. You know what I mean? The employees, the people that he's going to ask to go sacrifice their lives in foreign nations, fighting foreign enemies to keep us safe over here. In other words, he's asking them to lay down their lives, and then he's saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to require you before you go you got to take a shot of something that we don't know what's in it. There's no model anywhere on planet Earth that can tell you the exact ingredients of COVID-19. The CDC say they don't have it, either that or they're not going to give it out to anybody, for any laboratory to find out what's in, in the actual COVID-19 molecule. But yet he's going to demand that everybody in the military put that in their bodies or they're going to get kicked out. The state of Washington. Yesterday, Governor Jay Inslee, he announced the vaccine is mandated for almost all government and healthcare workers, as well as hundreds of thousands of private healthcare 
and long-term care employees. Those whom the mandate applies to will be required to show proof of vaccination against COVID. Unlike other state leaders who have rolled out similar mandates, Governor Inslee has not made regular testing an option. In other words, forget about getting the testing and finding out if you have natural immunity. We don't count that up here in the state of Washington. You're either going to get the vaccination or you're going to find another job. Yesterday in a meeting, he cited a surge in cases and hospitalizations in the state linked to the highly infectious Delta variant. We have what is essentially a new virus at our throats, he said. The state of Washington is taking decisive action. The requirement applies to executive cabinet agencies, which are supported by roughly 60,000 other employees across 24 different agencies in the state. Any contractor who wants to do work with the state is also going to be required to be vaccinated. Every day, folks, they just ratchet it down a little tighter, a little tighter, a little tighter. Meanwhile, (laughs) the oxymoron in the middle of all of this is, by the way, yesterday, there were about 12,000 immigrants that came across the southern border. We know now that a bunch of them, percentage-wise, they bring COVID-19 with them. We don't know which ones are, which ones aren't. And oh, by the way, we didn't test them to find out when they were down at the southern border. That's not the federal government's job. It's not the federal government's job to vaccinate illegal immigrants. It's the federal job, and they have the sole authority to let people in or not. And when they let them in, forget about the fact they're violating felony violation of federal immigration laws by doing it, passed by the United States Congress and the Department of Justice and this president refused to enforce the laws. Oh, we don't think those immigrants and what they bring in is nearly as bad as what Americans are sharing with each other. And so... We're going to ship them at taxpayer expense. The two places, the number one and number two places where they're sending them is where? Parts of Texas. Most of them come across the Texas border when they get here. And the other one is Florida. And then I'm going to stand, says Joe Biden, at a podium. And I'm going to demean the governors of Texas and Florida Because all of these new COVID cases in their states, we're shipping these immigrants there that are taking the COVID virus there, but shame on the governors and the people of Florida and Texas because they're having a spice in COVID cases. And so yesterday, Fox News, Peter Ducey, had the unmitigated gall to ask Jen Psaki about that. I want you to listen to this interwoven, very intellectual garbage that comes from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. 
international travel policy. And that will be done through the prism of uh, providing consistent guidance, equitable guidance, digestible guidance. And there's a lot of confusion about what the restrictions are now. And you all have asked a lot of good questions about it because it feels inconsistent, and it is. Um, but that's what our focus is. So that uh, is, is certainly under strong consideration, but it is under a, um, a policy process review right now that I won't uh, get ahead of myself. Uh, as it relates to, I know there was also reporting about the vaccination of uh, migrants. That's not what the CBP is doing. There are NGOs and other international uh, organizations who are vaccinating uh, migrants uh, as they come across the border and as they work in partnership with us. Certainly that helps keep a range of people safe in the in the country. But do you think that it's keeping people safe from McAllen, Texas, where 7,000 confirmed COVID-positive migrants have been released into the city since February, 1,500 in the last seven days? Well, I think it's important to note what's actually happening in McAllen. So there's actually been uh, a, they signed a disaster declaration approved setting up a temporary emergency shelter to provide a space to create an isolated space to mitigate uh, this issue. And what happens is uh, DHS is the process of what happens. Uh, the agency, one, we're continuing to enforce Title 42, uh, resulting first in the expulsion of the vast majority of those encountered at the border. Uh, we also, uh, CBP also provides migrants who can't be expelled under Title 42 uh, with PPE. They're required to wear the PPE. If any exhibit signs of illness in CP, CBP uh, custody, they're referred to local health systems for appropriate testing, diagnosis, isolation, and treatment. And obviously, there are steps taken as needed, as this is uh, certainly evidence of. I think we got to keep okay. chugging here just because uh, I don't want to run out of time. Kelly, go ahead. Yeah, i got to keep chugging here because I don't want to run out of time. And I don't want to have to answer any more about this because guess what? We're doing what we're going to do. It's not our responsibility. Wait a minute. You're the ones that are letting all these illegals come across the border, not the states of Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and California, certainly not Florida. It's you, federal government, that are doing it. It's your president, your Department of Homeland Security. Alejandro Mayorkas has unilaterally taken total control over who gets to come in and who doesn't. None of it has anything to do with U.S. immigration law. The law says exactly opposite. So what are you going to do? And she turns in her notebook. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, yeah, about McAllen. They created, they built an emergency station for those who are showing symptoms of having COVID-19, those illegals, to go there to segregate them from other people. And, of course, that Title 42 rule that Donald Trump put in place when he was in president that cut illegal immigration at our southern border and people coming in, cut it to a drip that y'all on day one threw out the window and opened up the southern border to let everybody come in, COVID or not, she said, yeah, we're, you know, that's going to sit, that's turning away most people that come here from a multitude of Border Patrol agents about that thing that she said is going on, Title 42. It will only work if they actually exercise the provisions of Title 42. And all of these agents, a dozen of them, unnamed because they don't want to lose their jobs for speaking up, they said they're not turning any of them away. They're not sending anybody back. In fact, what they're doing is when these report, when they send them out around the nation and these immigrants end up in light somewhere, they keep the, the lines of communication open with the Biden administration, with Homeland Security. And what they're doing, 
they, and they brag about this, they being the Biden administration, they're not talking about it today, but a month ago it was a huge thing. They are paying for the family members of those that they just let come into the nation. They're paying to bring those family members into the United States to put them in the process where you and I pay for everything. Don't you just feel warm and fuzzy about what our government's doing for us today? They're keeping us safe. Wow, they published as far back as 2016, they began creating a process of internment camps. And they split up people that are considered to be in the high-risk demographics for getting COVID-19. They have elaborate plans of how to make it all work, and they're editing it every day, making it fit just a little bit better. What is this all about? What's going on? You know, I don't know if I should stop here and, and play this piece of audio that I have now or wait till the end of the show. What are we? We, we got 44 minutes left in this show. Should I do it now? Let me think, let me think, let me think. Nah, I'm going to wait to do it later. You're going to want to hear this. It's a short explanation of what somebody that is in the know thinks about and is pretty sure what's going on. What will that be? Well, let's just say um, it's going to be surprising to some but not for others. Meanwhile, back down at the southern border, attorneys that are representing some of these illegal immigrant kids being held at those emergency intake sites, guess what they have done on behalf of some of those kids? They have sued the Biden administration, did so yesterday, asking a federal judge to order the Department of Justice, not Homeland Security, but the DOJ to comply with the terms of the landmark immigration agreement. The lawsuit was filed against Attorney General Merrick Garland. It alleges that the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement is using unlicensed detention facilities in which to house these migrant minors. That, by the way, they contain those jails, those jails for those migrant minors that, remember during Donald Trump's administration, the mainstream media and Democrats went nuts, including AOC and the squad members. Donald Trump's keeping them in cages. He's doing it. He's keeping them in cages. They've created cages and they're putting babies in there. The Secretary of Homeland Security under Barack Obama clarified that and said, no, no, no. We made those. We built those. We implemented those. And We put that in place to protect kids so they wouldn't, when they were in emergency care on a temporary basis, wouldn't be interacting with adult kids. They're back at it now in the Biden administration. So those that, on behalf of the suit that was filed, they allege that children at these so-called emergency intake sites lack recreation and education. They live in unsanitary conditions or serve raw or uncooked food and are served by staff untrained in taking care of kids. 
The night duty office at the Department of Justice didn't respond <laughs> to a request seeking comment. The National Center for Youth Law and Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law, that's who filed the suit on behalf of the kids. And it said this, children have described spending the bulk of the day on or around their cots crammed in massive tents with hundreds of other children suffering escalating anxiety attacks from the stress of the harsh environment, going weeks without clean clothes or underwear, and spending months without going outside for fresh air. While some of the unsafe facilities have been closed, megaton encampments and mining man campsites like Fort Bliss and Pecos remain open with no end in sight. Democrats, you got anything to say about that? You got anything to say about that? I'll answer that question. Nope. Nope. And so, meanwhile, the mouthpieces for the far left, that would be principally CNN. CNN New Day host yesterday suggested, listen to this, a travel ban for states like Florida where the number of COVID cases are rising. New Day co-host Brianna Keeler told viewers yesterday that one in five people hospitalized with COVID in the U.S. are coming from Florida. She then referenced a comment from CNN medical analyst, Dr. Jonathan Reiner. It's so high in Florida. I think Florida, if it were another country, we would have to consider banning travel from Florida to the U S he, and of course he is governor DeSantis needs to understand that he's painted himself into a corner. People are dying in Florida. It's going to get much worse. The hospitals are filling with people. Co-host John Berman asked analyst Harry Enteen, if Florida or Louisiana were foreign countries, would we ban travel at this point? The CNN reporter said Dr. Reiner was on to something about a travel ban against states like Florida. He said countries like the UK, Greece, and France, which have travel restrictions imposed on them by the CDC, currently have lower COVID rates than do Florida and Louisiana. So yeah, these places, Louisiana and Florida, or there are some other states in there as well, they are worse than places in which travelers are mostly banned from. When I hear this banter, it almost reminds me of, um, oh, what's that movie, Mean Girls? Mean Girls, where you have a group of girls that are sycophants. I mean, they're just, they know everything about everybody and they have, or they think they have some kind of power that they can wield over other kids at school. And so what they do, they get together and they start talking about these other kids. And, you know, did you see what she had on today? And the, uh, one of the others says, OMG, it looks like it came from Walmart. And then another one of them says, oh my gosh, I heard her mom always shops at Walmart and she does it late at night so nobody will see her buying clothes for her kids. And they vacation at a camp out in the woods. They don't go to Venice Beach. They don't go to the Mediterranean. They're just low lifes. That's what these guys sound like. They just pile on like, oh my gosh, everybody in Louisiana are a bunch of dweebs. Look at what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida. They forget about the facts. 
You know what they don't talk about? This is interesting now. I love this. What's the worst thing that happens when you get COVID-19? It's not that some crazy news reporter talks bad about you because you live in a state that's getting some cases. And by the way, those cases, how do we know those cases are real? Well, they're tested, the PCR test, which the CDC themselves said two weeks ago, we're not going to have that test anymore because it gives a bunch of false positive results that we can't trust. So I'll venture a guess that anybody that has any respiratory symptoms of any kind, you know, getting something like uh, the flu, (laughs) when they go get tested, they're testing positive for COVID and they're treating them like the flu or pneumonia. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of these people are drastically ill. I know people who have died from COVID-19. I'm not diminishing the fact that it is serious. I'm not at all. But what I am, the big question mark over my head, has been for a year and a half it is today, and the question mark is getting bigger and bigger. What's the reality, folks? What are they leaving out of this? What's the worst thing that can happen if you get COVID-19? You die. Why don't they, instead of just giving us the case numbers, why don't they give us the death numbers? Let me tell you what the facts say. The Delta variant, regardless of what you have heard, the science and the data point to it not being as serious as the native COVID-19 virus. That's the only reason, the only way they could even not report the numbers of death because that doesn't fit their narrative. Their narrative starts and ends with this phrase. If you get COVID-19, you're going to die. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. How to improve your dining room by the Home Depot. New wood floors, new paint on the walls. Sure, you know us for that. But how about a new dining room table? Matching chairs? Bar stools? How about free and flexible delivery with easy online returns? Now you can explore decor in a whole new way. Save now on furniture. Everything for your home. Everything from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. U.S. only valid through September 7th. Limitations apply. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks. Just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yep, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. 
the queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic four-for-four fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just four bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior fry, value drink. Price participation may vary. The voice we need more than ever. Dan Newman. TNN. The Truth News Network. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds so calm and so soothing. (laughs) I guess that was thrown in to say... Calm down a little bit, Dan. You're getting a little out on the edge. <laughs> What's your blood pressure right now? I, I got to be honest with you, folks. I get animated. I do. Because this is so egregious what actions are being taken and what actions are being threatened to be taken against the American people by our own government. This lockdown thing, this craziness. Now, as you know, the um, the schools have come out now, and of course the big controversy about going back to school centers around mask and mandated vaccinations for students and teachers. And of course, immediately when a topic when this topic comes up, everybody begins to draw lines, and you're either for or against. You're not any longer. You're not in the tank that supports people making personal decisions and choices. Well, you know, we can't just let people not wear a mask when they assimilate in public or in schoolrooms or in churches or in restaurants. We can't trust people to do that. And if you don't wear a mask, you don't know. You may have COVID-19 and you sitting next to someone in a restaurant or your kid in a classroom, they could just not knowingly give that disease to somebody sitting next to him or at the table next to him or to the waiter or the waitress. I'm sorry I was just incorrect when I said that. It's not waiter or waitress, it's server. Please forgive me. So this school thing, Ron DeSantis down in Florida, you know, his school systems came up and said, hey, public schools down here, Everybody's going to wear a mask. Ron DeSantis, the governor, put out an executive order last week and said, you're not going to be required to wear a mask in public schools. And it's happening in some other states as well. And guess what's happening? The news folks, oh, they're all up in arms. And so CNBC decided, and they're breathlessly reporting, that some of these state school systems are fighting back against the mandates to not wear masks that are being put in place by these governors who really don't know what's best for America or best for kids, but they're just exercising their power. And so these public school officials are fighting back at these governors with these horrible mask mandates. Shep, you're talking about all of this coming to a head here in the heart of a pandemic in which still more than 100 million Americans remain unvaccinated. You see 13,000 plus hospitalizations here in Florida in a single day, more than 23,000 cases in Florida. That is met with the reality that students here in Florida are heading back to school, but also in Georgia, in Arizona, these students Well, they're going to be entering classrooms at a time in which their governors have banned school districts from requiring their classmates 
from wearing masks. What we are seeing is that school districts, for the first time, are now beginning to try to directly challenge those governor's orders. Here in Leon County, here in Tallahassee, just this afternoon, the superintendent announcing, despite the governor's order, he will require masks on students when they return to classrooms on Wednesday. But also, the superintendent, the school district in Dallas, Texas, doing the same this afternoon, as well as Phoenix Union School District in Arizona taking on Governor Doug Ducey. All of this is coming to a head as you are seeing the spike in cases. I want to let you hear from one parent. My children want to be back in the classroom. I want them to be back in the classroom. The experts advise that they go back to the classroom, but at this point, I don't feel like it's safe for them to be in the classroom where there are unvaccinated, unmasked children. There are now multiple lawsuits hitting to the very heart of this on whether school districts, despite governor's orders, can require students to wear masks. So you know what's happening? Let me put this in context, and then we're going to move on. Um, I'm, I'm going to actually make a comment, and then I'm going to give you what uh, one learned physician that you all know his name uh, had to say about this. Here's what's happening. You don't hear, as I said earlier, you don't hear anything about the numbers of deaths. They quit reporting that. I mean, it's there. It's on the CDC website. We report every Friday here the latest VAERS information, which are the vaccine adverse effects, deaths, and severe problems that come from just the vaccinations. And it's thousands of people who have died from the vaccination. We don't hear about those crossover infections. The CDC kept a section on their website for like three weeks of those types of infections. Those are people that have been vaccinated that then later test positive and get sick from COVID-19. We were told in the beginning, first of all, you get a vaccine, you're not going to die. If you don't get a vaccine, you're going to die. If you wear a mask, you're going to be fine. If you don't wear a mask, you're going to die. And then we were told, just wear the mask for a little while and we're going to we're going to reach herd immunity. You remember they preached that for 3 months last year. Fauci led the charge. And then since then, he's been poo-pawing herd immunity, which, folks, herd immunity wasn't invented by Anthony Fauci, the National Institutes of Health, or the CDC. It was invented by God. Natural immunity comes from our bodies generating, creating all of the things necessary to kill bacteria and viruses that our bodies face on a daily basis. We're told that it's billions of times a day, every day. But now you can't trust herd immunity or natural immunity. Oh, my gosh. Then we were told, hey, you get the COVID-19, you get through it on the other side, you've got antibodies, that means you're never going to get it again. They told us that. They told us that. They told us that. Now what do they say? Herd immunity only lasts for three and a half minutes. I'm exaggerating, of course. But they say you can't trust herd immunity. you got to get a vaccine. So now we're back at it. Restaurants, clubs, bars, entertainment venues in New York. Mayor Bill de Blasio, brain surgeon that he is, decided to put out an edict, a mandate that says every restaurant, every entertainment venue, uh, that means... Yankees, Mets, the Knicks, 
You want to go participate in all these? Hey, 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 you got to prove when you get to the front door you've been vaccinated. Senator Rand Paul. Now, he's a doctor. Rand Paul, senator from Kentucky. He wants every American to peacefully oppose what he calls excessive measures to help contain COVID-19. He believes the Biden administration didn't introduce tougher mandates and lockdowns based on science. Rather, he believes the Democrats are simply being, his words, petty tyrants. The senator says it's time for us to resist. They cannot arrest all of us, he said. We can simply say no, not again. Paul believes the nation is at a crossroads and moment of truth. America can either stand together and choose freedom or let fear and propaganda destroy society, the economy, and future generations. Rand Paul believes President Biden has already surrendered to the virus itself and unconditionally follows every recommendation from the CDC. Paul said this, quote, Biden will not accept your agency's mandates or your reported moves toward a lockdown. No one should follow the CDC's anti-science mask mandates. If you want to shut down federal agencies again, some of which are not even back to work yet, I will stop every bill coming through the Senate with an amendment to cut their funding if they do not come back to work in person. Do you know that Nancy Pelosi has this proxy thing that she put in unilaterally over in the House of Representatives? What does it mean? It means members of the House of Representatives don't have to be at the Capitol to vote. They can vote by proxy, which means they don't have to go to work. They can stay at home and pick up the phone. Rand Paul also criticized Pelosi for forcing lawmakers to wear face masks in the House chamber. He said this addressing the Speaker. Pelosi, you will not arrest or stop me or anyone on my staff from doing our jobs. We have either had COVID, had the vaccine, or been offered the vaccine. We will not be forced into random screenings and testings so you can continue your drunk with power reign over the Capitol. We will make our own health choices. We will not show you a passport. We will not wear a mask. And Senator Paul, he's a physician now. He considers kids to be the worst affected by these restrictions because they've been prevented from going to school. Children are falling behind in school and are being harmed physically and psychologically by the tactics that you have used to keep them from the classroom during 2020. He believes denying youth the right to an education is unnecessary. Children are not at any more risk from COVID than they are from the seasonal flu. Every adult who works in school has already had the vaccine or had their chance to get vaccinated. He vowed to publish, excuse me, to punish educational institutions that keep preventing kids from attending class. He proposed suspend taxpayer funding letting parents decide where money goes for their kids' education. Novel idea. School choice, I've been for it from the very beginning, whether you call it school vouchers or whatever. All these schools are funded by public tax dollars. 
tax dollars. So every parent, if they live, if they buy food, if they drive cars, if they live somewhere, they're going to pay taxes. Some of their tax money is taken to fund these schools. Why not figure out what it costs every kid in the nation to go to school, divide it out, and whatever the dollar per kid is to pay for a, a year's worth of schooling, give their parents a voucher so they can decide which schools their kids go to. That's another story for another day. Rand Paul hopes no more government restrictions will suppress individual freedoms. The tide is turning, he said, as more and more people are willing to stand up. We are at a moment of truth and a crossroads, he said. Will we allow these people to use fear and propaganda to do further harm to our society, to our economy, and to our kids? I knew I liked him for some reason. <laughs> so, around the world, what's what's going on today? We haven't even talked about anybody overseas. How about Dr. Kobe Haviv, who I introduced to you yesterday? He's the medical director of Israel's leading center for respiratory care. He was on a television show over the weekend, a news show, to give an alarming update on those breakthrough cases among the vaccinated. I understand that most of the patients are vaccinated, even severe patients, he said. Exactly. Naturally occurring. Old people, most of them are vaccinated. At the Herzog Medical Center in Jerusalem, the vaccinated that end up there in the hospital account for 90% of hospitalizations and 95% of severe cases. Most of the population in Israel is vaccinated. 90% of the hospitalizations here are fully vaccinated people. Did you hear that? In Israel, uh, they're using the same vaccinations over there that we use here. They're further along than we are because they've been vaccinating a bigger, higher percentage of their population quicker. And obviously theirs is a much smaller population in Israel. But nevertheless, 90% of the hospitalizations in Israel are fully vaccinated people. According to their health officials, the majority of Israelis have been fully vaccinated, including 85% of those who are eligible. In addition, almost 6 million of the expected 9 million citizens have received at least one dose, and five and a half million are fully vaccinated. Thursday of last week, they had 3,800 new cases. As a result, citizens must now provide proof of vaccination, a positive test or proof of recent recovery from the virus to participate in most outdoor and indoor activities following an emergency vote in their government. Dr. Haviv's observations, combined with a high vaccination rate, add to Gateway Pundit's recent research on the vaccine's complete ineffectiveness against the spreading of the virus. Another top Israeli doctor, Aiton Worthine, summarizes the effectiveness of these rushed vaccines and what we can expect, even though so many people have already gotten the vaccine. Here's what he said, Dr. Worthy. We are going to be right in the same spot that we were one year ago. We are on the same route. Now, what about these doctors? Does anybody, you know, there are a lot of doctors out there that they won't take the vaccine. 
They will not give an injection to anybody, any of their patients. They'll send them elsewhere. They don't believe in it. So what about these doctors? Is there any liability for them? Well, guess what just comes out yesterday? Doctors can be stripped of their license to practice medicine if they contradict or question the quote-unquote official narrative about COVID-19 vaccines. The U.S. Federation of State Medical Boards warned doctors not to spread misinformation about the COVID vaccine in any interviews, medical literature, recorded discussions, or social media posts. So listen to this. This is a U.S. entity. U.S. Federation of State Medical Boards. What are they saying? What are they doing when they, what do they mean when they say this? Here's what they're saying. Hey, doctors, you're a member of our organization. We gave you a license. Listen closely to what we're saying to you. That First Amendment thing you have, oh, that Hippocratic, 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 (laughs) the oath that you made, throw all this crap out the window. First Amendment, your oath are meaningless. Listen to what we tell you. You don't say anything. We call it misinformation. Don't say any misinformation about the vaccine in interviews and medical literature, recorded discussions, or social media posts. And don't you dare tell your patients anything different than the official line. Any doctor who fails to comply and sows what they determine is distrust will be sanctioned and referred to their respective state medical board for disciplinary action. If the behavior continues, their medical license could be suspended or even revoked. Now here's what they say could be one of those breaches. Warning about the risk of experimental vaccine. Don't you dare tell them it's experimental and it may have complications because it's not fully tested. Don't tell them that. Making observations about adverse effects. Don't tell them that you know people that can't walk right now because of the vaccination. Don't tell them about that or others. And then there's drawing conclusions based on knowledge and experience. You know, you've been a doctor for 35 or 40 years, and this isn't your first rodeo. Well, don't you dare talk about your first rodeo. You get what I mean, Doc? If you do that, if you cross the line, if you talk about anything we say you shouldn't talk about, we're going to kick you to the curb. Participating in media interviews is also not recommended, they say, unless the content promotes vaccines without questioning science. The the statement they put, this this is insanity, folks. Licensed physicians possess a high degree of public trust, they said, and therefore have a powerful platform in society. They also have an ethical and professional responsibility to practice medicine in the best interest of their patients and must share information that is factual, scientifically grounded and consensus-driven for the betterment of public health. Who's driving this? What's the purpose? What's going on in all of this? 
I know, I know, I promised you. I was going to play you an audio bite, and I will, before the show is over, that explains a little bit of that, at least one perspective. We're only 14 minutes from the end of the show, so you're going to be hearing that in just a few. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Trucker Fire Insurance Exchanges or affiliate. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding rental and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds. We take you higher. We take you higher. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you not going to use a bump to go back into the show just got a during the break i got a uh, a news blurb the senate just passed minutes ago the um, 1 trillion dollar infrastructure bill very contentious and it's going to go to the house and i don't know if people that are listening are panicking right now but remember this remember this nancy pelosi house speaker controls this entire process now Um, there's a bigger bill behind it. We talked a little bit about that earlier in our show today, a bigger bill that's full of all kinds. It's a multi-trillion dollar bill. Nancy Pelosi, when she's been asked and she's volunteered several, several times that no matter what the Senate does, if they pass this bill, which they just passed and it comes over, they're not going to take it up in the house because she says both of the bills, the one that Already been approved by the House. No, I'm sorry. Hadn't been approved at the House yet. That's this infrastructure bill. When it comes over there, it has to be approved, obviously, before it'll be signed into law. And also the other one that the House proved, they approved it. It's coming to the Senate now. If the Senate doesn't approve it, neither one will be ever taken up on the floor of the House of Representatives. So it's not the end of the world. But I will say this, 17 Republicans, turncoat, they should have never passed this bill. And their fallback is going to be, we knew it would never never even get the light of day 
in the House because we're not going to let this second big bill go through. Just giving you a little information there. I've got one audio bite that I, I desperately want you to hear. We've got 10 minutes left. Let me see how, let's see. Let me see how long these are. Three and a half seconds. Okay, we've got enough time to do this. Representative Corey Brooks, member of the squad, just recently elected to the House of Representatives, far left. Remember, she's the one that is getting blasted because her number one thing is defund the cops. Defund the cops. And then we find out she spent $70,000 on personal security campaign money for herself, but she wants the cops gone. I want you to listen to what Cori Bush had to say yesterday, trying to justify her private security. Congresswoman, I want to ask about the criticism that you're facing uh, about comments you made in an interview this past week. I want our viewers to listen. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. So I know you've seen that Republicans are pointing to the fact that you said you have your own security while almost in the same breath advocating for defunding the police. Now, I do want to emphasize, I understand you have security protection because you have received multiple death threats. But the clip that I just played is being used in attack ads against not not you, but not just you, but other Democrats. So could those comments end up being harmful to your fellow Democrats, politically speaking? I think what we have to look at is the fact that I made it to Congress in in 2020. I was elected to Congress and we're still fighting this same fight. We're still fighting to save black lives. That was not that work was not done before I got here. This is the reason why I ran was to save lives, to save my son's life. It was because Michael Brown, who we're fighting for, can still trying to get justice for. Um, it's because he didn't get justice and Von Derrick Myers didn't get justice and Kajin Powell didn't get justice and so many others. That is why. And because that was not that was not fixed before I got here to then come at me and say, you're the reason why we have these problems. No, the, the, the reason why we have these problems is because those that were in power and could have fixed this problem before now didn't and cost it cost lives and so now that I'm here I we just we just um, introduced the People's Response Act to make sure that we are looking at the money that money that should be going to social safety nets to make sure that our our community members who are um, living with um, mental health um, uh, issues um, are are able so to function and live in society um, the way that uh, that anyone would ask to. So I don't believe as far as my as far as my colleagues, you know, I absolutely empathize. I empathize. But you know what? The same thing that the Republicans would do, which is figure out how to work with this on a, on a comms basis. That's what we have to do. My job is to save lives, the lives well, in my community, because when we're when we're talking about every single year increasing the budget for police and then and then and then the budget for like health and human services continuing to shrink. And St. Louis being number one for police violence year after year after year, number one, number two for homicides year and year after Congress year. One. So when, when we're adding more money to the police, but but we're still dying. So Congress something has to change. I, yeah, and I and I hear what you're saying, but but I also heard you say that 
You think it's a comms problem. Is it that? Because no, I'm saying that we can also that that's another way that you can tackle this. You have to tackle it from more than one place. We have to work on what we want to say. What what are what is our message? But then we also have to understand that we we have to save lives too. St. Louis can't keep get being put on the back burner at all that. And I'm here to stand up for my community. What you just heard is a member of the House of Representatives who is stuck on one point and one point only. And the point she's stuck on has no merit. Her explanations are meaningless. We've got to save lives. We've got to save lives. Doesn't she look around the nation? Doesn't she see, even in her own city, St. Louis, Missouri is where she's from. It's leading the nation in per capita murders on her watch, and it's getting worse every day. Just up the road, Chicago, same thing happening. Cops are bailing left and right because of people like her that don't understand. All they want to do is make political brownie points with people of color when the people they represent, including Cori Bush, those people of color are the ones that are saying, stop the crime, stop the crime. And social programs ain't stopping no crime right now. There's no thug that's a drug runner or a pusher or a human trafficker. None of them give a rip about social stuff. They're all about one thing, power with money. That's it. That's it. So what's this other big thing we're talking about? Well, anytime we need to get a perspective a little different from the normal U.S. perspective on things, We can always turn to our friends down in Australia, down under, Sky News in Australia. What's behind all of this stuff, everything rolled in, the big money spending, the massive spending, COVID-19, all the misinformation and disinformation, lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. Take a listen. This word from Sky News in Australia. Now, what if I said to you that your freedoms rested on the resolve of, believe it or not, Russia and China? (laughs) You'd probably think I was doing a Joe Biden impersonation, but no, no. Unlike the US president, I still have all of my marbles. And unlike the US president, I am not devoted to the radical Great Reset movement. See, that plan, and we've discussed it here before, involves dramatically increasing the power of government through expansive new social programs and using the vast regulatory schemes that they can concoct to coerce corporations into supporting left-wing causes. And the two justifications for the proposal are the COVID-19 pandemic, you see that's the short-term current one, and the ongoing long-term so-called climate crisis, which is caused by carbon dioxide and global warming, not. Anyway, the Great Reset. It's an initiative of the World Economic Forum and its founder, Klaus Schwab, wrote last year, The world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. I really wanted to do that in a German accent, but I'm not brave enough to. But it's not surprising that the likes of the hard-left Biden administration are all very happy about replacing capitalism with a new version, likely crony capitalism. You see, that way only the special people get to make a profit for themselves. The rest of us, well, we've just become economic units for the government. And according to Biden's 
special presidential envoy for climate, that's John Kerry, the Great Reset will happen with greater speed and with greater intensity than a lot of people might imagine. Well, we've told you before what this means for you. Or actually, I only told you what the World Economic Forum has released. But there is hope. Because as Uberfuhrer Schwab said, the Great Reset needs every country and every industry to participate. Well, if that were to happen, then we would become something akin to a much larger version of the European Union. That's where bureaucrats, they hold sway over everything, including common sense. And that may explain why in 2011, after a three-year investigation, the EU banned drink manufacturers from claiming that drinking water can somehow prevent dehydration. You heard that right. In this nightmare world, if a producer of bottled water makes such a claim, they could actually face a two-year jail sentence. So do you really think Russia and China, or anyone else with half a brain actually, is going to sign on to that? I suspect not, which is why I really do think that your freedoms and the future of capitalism itself, you know, that's where satisfying others' wants and needs enables you to build a business, employ people and make a buck as well, depends on these two dictatorships. Now, sure, they may pay lip service to the garbage promulgated by the WEF and their cronies, but there is zero chance the Presidents for Life will ever surrender their power to New York or Brussels-based officialdom. There you go, folks. A thought, a perspective, a great reset, and that would explain what we're dealing with today and why. Just put that uh, in your peace pipe and think it through. And we'll be back tomorrow, folks. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. Um, I I, I think you understand that uh, we're going to get our arms around this. We will. And uh, when we do, we're all going to be the better for it. And we'll be back. You have a wonderful day. Have a great day. Listen, smile. Tell somebody hello and smile at them. Ask them if they don't look like they're doing too hot. Ask them if you can pray with them or help them out. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here, 9 to 11 a.m. at TNN Live. Solving the balance of truth deficit. Dan Newman, TNN. The Truth News Network.